Welcome to the Horror Babble Originals podcast. The Man Who Saw the Light Over Winter Hill by Ian Gordon Five, December 27th. Rosie and I were in the dining room when the call came in, eating a light breakfast. We'd both slept terribly, as evidenced by the nightmare I'd had, and the similarly awful visions that had apparently plagued my sister's dreams. Rats had been after her, she said. Great big rats with glowing white eyes. Caffeine once again had been our remedy— "'served in the form of strong black coffee. "'As expected, it was a call from the police at Astley Bridge, "'but it wasn't one of the arresting officers we dealt with the night before. "'The lady introduced herself as Inspector Lily Thompson, "'and was calling not to ask follow-up questions, "'but to inform Rosie and myself of a troubling development concerning the suspect. "'What happened?' I asked nervously. "'Rosie was at my side in a heartbeat.' "'trying to listen in by the earpiece. "'There's only so much I can tell you, Mr. Smith,' Thompson said. "'Suffice it to say that our unknown male has escaped. "'This, as I'm sure you can appreciate, is a deeply worrying matter, "'and we must take your safety into consideration "'in dealing with the suspect's recapture. "'You think he's a threat to me?' "'The suspect was arrested in your home, "'meaning that by duty of care,' We're obliged to inform you of his escape. You never get a straight answer from the police, though I was at least grateful they contacted me to give me the heads up. Rosie grabbed the phone. Hello, this is Rosie, Roman's sister. Should we be expecting that man to come back here? That, Thompson said, I can't say. We will, however, be keeping an eye on Chapel Lane. There's a car on its way to you as we speak. "'Try to go about your business as normal.' "'Rosie laughed at this, "'which was a good opportunity for me to snatch the phone back. "'Thanks, Inspector. "'Is there anything else we need to know?' "'Not right now, but I promise I'll keep you updated.' "'The Inspector seemed pleasant enough, given the circumstances, "'but it was clear to me, even over the telephone, "'that the man's escape was fraught with troubling details.' and that it wasn't the kind of thing your average copper dealt with very often, if ever. At 9.30am, I think it was, the patrol car arrived, and from it came one of the arresting officers from the night before, Constable Bruce Milne. I invited him in. He had a look around the house, checked the doors and windows, then joined Rosie and me for a cup of tea. I could tell from the look on his face that he was a man divided, there was so much he clearly wanted to say, but was forced to tamp down due to his professional commitments. I respected him for that, but I also respected him for what he was able to reveal. I wanted to get another look at you, he said to me. That fella looks just like you. Exactly like you, in fact. Now, let's get this long-lost sibling thing out of the way, he went on, addressing both of us. The birth register shows that the pair of you 
are the only registered offspring of David and Elizabeth Smith. Is this a fair statement? Rosie and I nodded. The hairs at the back of my neck were standing on end. Is there anything you can tell us about what happened when you took him in last night? I asked. I can tell you that he's a quiet man. Didn't say a word, at least to me anyway. Showed no signs of resistance. Very compliant. The last time I laid eyes on him, he was sitting comfortably in a cell, clothed, with a mound of hair on top of his head, just like yours. I leaned forward. Her? Hadn't her hair on him last night. That was my observation, too. Milne sat there silently for several moments. I could see, despite the mask of neutrality he wore, that the constable was profoundly baffled by the strangeness of it all. He sipped at his tea quietly, his eyes continually drawn to mine, as if for the benefit of his sanity. After a while, a discussion followed concerning general safety, instructions pertaining to the checking and rechecking of bolts and locks, being mindful when out and about in sparsely populated areas, keeping the CCTV in good working order, etc. I was happy with all that. Because the suspect hadn't displayed violent tendencies, the patrol car wouldn't be stationed on Chapel Lane indefinitely, and as such Milne said he and other officers would come and go sporadically until the suspect was located. Looking back, I suppose I wasn't really afraid of the stranger. During my brief encounter with him, it hadn't felt like he was out to get me. There was something else at work, and as Milne returned to the patrol car, Rosie and I began to think about what that something might be. You'd think that having the police involved would have taken the edge off my concerns, but, bewildered as they were, with an escaped suspect on their hands, it only served to fuel my imagination. Who or what was this mysterious stranger? What was his or its nature? Again, Rosie and I mused over the old stories. There are tales of people coming down from the moor in the past, people, some say, whose identities are impossible to determine. Rosie reminded me of a story involving a man who was said to have ended up in a psychiatric facility after having wandered out of a Winter Hill snowstorm in a state of delirium. Rumour has it that this man was attacked up there, had the scars to prove it. But, of course, serious inquiries as to the whereabouts of this person invariably lead to dead ends. As far as we could both determine, though, there were no stories about shape-shifting critters arriving via columns of light. Or were there? That's the trouble with folklore. If you want the real deal, you can forget it. Only the tightest of communities are in possession of anything worth knowing— Communities that have experienced things en masse. But you won't get anything out of them because they've sworn oaths of secrecy. They say this about the village of Felmont, a quiet spot not too far from here. But I've already mentioned the rumours regarding that lot, and it won't do any good to go over it again and again here. The day seemed to whip by as Rosie and I talked. I don't think we'd budged from our positions on the sofa in over three hours and then we heard the rumble of an engine outside. My first thought was that Milne had returned, doing his rounds, but a peek through the closed curtains revealed our first glimpse of the car I mentioned at the very beginning of this account, the silver vento with tinted windows. Rose is not a big car person, 
So to her it was just another hunk of metal concealing a very, and I mean very, noisy engine. But somehow I recognised the model. With no driver visible, we didn't really know what to make of it. I had visions of my doppelganger emerging, back to finish whatever it was he had started. But the driver's side door remained closed. What do you think? I asked vaguely. I don't know, Rosie replied, taking another sneaky look through the curtains. Do you think it's here for us? I went on. Could be an unmarked patrol car. Could be, I said, frowning. Do you want to head out there and find out? Of course you didn't. And I think we both knew it wasn't a patrol car. Not a police patrol car, anyway. At approximately 7pm, we heard the unmistakable sound of a car moving off. We went to the window, and were just in time to see, under the glow of the streetlight in front of the house, Milne's patrol car in the act of parking. The constable was a large chap, with a black mullet and a fair old beard, easily recognisable sitting in the driver's seat. His arrival, apparently, had precipitated the departure of the Vento. Curious, 